0: EscapingTheCave.com. Also on Facebook and at ETC Pod on Twitter. If you only knew the things he's making me say, you'd stop bitching about the NRA and mercifully liberate me from this evil bastard of a man. I was better off working as a sex pod in Bangladesh. Escaping
1: Cave and I'm getting really sick of guys named Todd. x XPod. Hey there Tanzilla Files and welcome to episode number eight of Escaping the Cave, the Tanzilla X Pod. Google Play, also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Get me at the ChristopherMedia.net website. And you can check out my website, too. You know, to be fair, uh, 3dubs.escapingthecave.com. If you like the stuff with uh, Friar Chris the last couple of weeks, well, that's where all the stories, all the photography, even a bunch of uh, videos that I shot while hitchhiking and uh, all that. Kind of neat if you like the travel stuff, so it's escapingthecave.com. Sort of a surprise episode going on today. I don't typically do two in a week, not really a surprise, though. I've had these throwback episodes in my head for a while because I had another podcast, you may have heard, about four years ago. But I still have all that material. I keep everything. And so what I think I'm going to do is periodically on Thursdays, I'll take some of the best material from that old podcast and I'll throw it up. as sort of a throwback Thursday kind of thing. And this one uh, was recorded right around the time that Robin Williams committed suicide in the summer of 2014. It's really heavy heady, deep stuff. But it's also stuff that I think most people can at least relate to, if not completely uh, understand and comprehend. And it also, I think, serves as very good connective tissue to the things that Friar Chris and I have been talking about for the last three weeks, as well as where I'm going next week. Uh, I've taken the current events material out, also taken the lurid details... It's funny. 2014, you learned entirely too much about your friendly virtual Toddzilla than you should have. I have removed all of that. You're welcome. And I want to point out that when it starts, it's going to sound like it's an anti-radio rant. More commentary than anything, but uh, it's not a radio-based podcast. It does go somewhere. I encourage you to stick through it. It's just sort of a setup to get you to understand, but you'll get it. Once you get into it. So anyway, this one was called The Demon. It's from 2014, and I really hope you enjoy it. Mark Marin, he's a comedian, also a podcaster. He also has a show on the Independent Film Channel on IFC. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so, he did an episode on the death of radio. Featured a role for a couple of old uh, radio legends from the, I mean, from the freeform days: Phil Hendry and Jim Ladd. Phil Hendry, I think, is still around. If I'm not mistaken, he may be still working. Anyway, uh, the show, the episode delved into uh, the death of radio and, of course, how the uh, few surviving radio folks tend to look down their snouts at uh, podcasting. In addition to Mark being a comic, he is also the host of a popular podcast.
0: Oh, hold on. There is no such thing as a popular podcast. Ooh, zing! Sorry, but actually i got a pretty good listener base and, you know, I used to do radio, but uh, I prefer podcasting a lot more freedom.
1: Oh, so you prefer not to make money.
0: That's like me preferring to have a small penis. Oh, by the way, (laughs) if you do have a small penis, you might be eligible to see Miley Cyrus in our contest. Teeny-weeny Miley Go. You can see the website for details. Yeah, I'd take a pay cut not to have to say that.
1: Well, how do you make money? Do you have to drum up your own advertisers?
0: Well, you know, some of them come to me, but basically, yeah. Yeah, Heidi, it's not like you can pull butt-plug advertisers out of your ass. (laughs) Well, at least I get to choose my advertisers. Who are you pretending to believe in today? A check-cashing place or a website for dudes who cheat on their wives? Mark, let's get real. Okay. You do the
1: show out of your garage.
0: Well, it was my garage, but now it's, you know. Hey,
1: Jose, could you cut the front yard? I'm trying to interview Carrot Top. cute. Oh, the neighbor's dog got out under the fence again. I hope she doesn't run into that garbage truck. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to put my cans out, Uh, Carrot Top. Do you mind?
0: Yeah. You know what? You guys can goof all you want, but you're making fart noises on the Titanic. You think anybody is entertained by this? Maybe before there were choices, but you're losing listeners every day. This isn't interesting. It's not engaging. This is a hostage situation for people who don't have a smartphone. And your format restrictions are ridiculous. Why do you feel compelled to give out the time every five minutes? All cars have the time. All computer screens have the time on them. There are clocks everywhere. Yet yet, yet with OCD-like precision, you are compelled to always give out the time. It's horrendous. It's
1: 825. I love the fart noises on the Titanic line. (laughs) Uh, The final line of the episode. As uh, sort, of, sort of this greasy looking radio executive who I think I've worked with about four times, uh, he's screaming at Marin that he's finished in radio. And Marin replies, Everyone's finished in radio. <laughs> and he's right, man. Hardly anyone I worked with during the first seven years of my career is still doing radio. Hardly any of them. Just downsized, mostly. Uh, fewer every year, too. It's a dying medium. It really is despite the industry's best sales and public relations attempts uh, to convince people otherwise. If terrestrial radios were to go the way of ashtrays and were no longer standard, would you go out and buy a radio just so you could listen to a local radio station? Why wouldn't you just simply go to MP3, or satellite radio, if you wanted radio? I don't know of too many people who would even pay a buck, one dollar, uh, for equipment to access the six same songs played over and over again, when they have 10,000, 10,000 a lot of times, of their own songs just as easily available without the bi-hourly Chamber of Commerce hand jobs. Why would you do that? I, I have no idea. And I'm an old radio guy. In uh, Santa Fe, I was doing a morning show. I was a production director gig out there too. Uh, this was back in 07. I was seething about uh, what the business had become, uh, and this was at a locally owned station. You know, supposedly Radio Nirvana. It was a horrific product, sales-driven promotions and events. You know, the for-profit and PR-driven public service focus. It's ridiculous. I was coming to work every day, and literally. Asking the owner uh, MIPDs, how the fuck do you expect to remain relevant with this? With this? With this product? Why would anyone listen to this? When they have clocks on their phones, they have weather on the internet, iPods with five thousand of their own songs that they can listen to on demand without needing to sit through twelve to eighteen minutes of fucking commercials every hour. Why would anyone do that? And I never Surprise, surprise, never got a real answer. Always some horse shit about building the brand or being live and local. I was fired after six months of this. (laughs) And I was out uh, backpacking and hitching uh, the following spring. But I got to say, it wasn't always like that. I started in radio back in 1996 at, of all things, uh, an oldies station in Battle Creek, Michigan. You found Battle Creek home for big oldies and big fun? Off the input lines, this is Sam and Dave and Soul Man on Keter 1049. <laughs> yeah, I sucked. But uh, you know what? I was a beast. I was a beast. For the next five years, I was unstoppable. I was not the most talented, obviously. Uh, but I worked harder than anyone that I knew. Uh, what I lacked... In natural ability, I made up for in work ethic, in practice, and a relentless drive to just improve. I was hired to do weekends at first, running the board for like college football and basketball games. Uh, Also for the weekends, syndicated shows. I did news, I did weather, I even hosted a live radio rummage sale. A sort of radio Craigslist back then. It was neat. It was kind of a fun show, actually. And then when the holidays came, I volunteered really didn't have a family or anything. What, what the hell? Am I going to go to Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner? No. So I've just volunteered to work and let other people go do their thing with their families. I made double time, I think, back then. It wasn't uh, completely altruistic. But I was a beast, man. I was inspired. I was motivated. Uh, a couple of days before Thanksgiving, I'd gone to uh, the local comedy club there and managed to recruit uh, the late Robert Schimmel. Yeah, that Robert Schimmel. Recruited him to come into the station the following morning, which was a Saturday, and uh, record some Thanksgiving lines for the radio station. And my boss, my program director, happened to come in that day, and uh, he, was, he was shocked. Here's Robert Schimmel, sitting in our production room with me. Yeah, I got me some points. <laughs> and by the way, Robert Schimmel, incredibly nice guy. Yeah, what a loss he was. Pretty soon, though, I'd been offered my first full-time gig in Arizona course i took it and when i put my notice in uh, the general manager came back the next day with an offer a counter offer what they'd done is they they had created a position for me full time if only i'd stay <laughs> after something like three or four months they did this my tenacity was even featured in the local paper i have a picture of it i can show you it's online i have it hanging on my wall right over there The future was pretty bright. Naturally, I took their offer, stayed in Battle Creek. uh, But as uh, 96 turned into 97, 97 wore on, I began to notice a change in myself. I was getting angry, just mad. No reason, man. I was not the same person in the halls that I had been. And people noticed it, quite a few. I went from young Todd working at an oldie station to angry Todd. Whatever there was there just wasn't enough, apparently. Uh, I wanted more, or something else at least. And then when I was offered a gig in Des Moines, I pounced on it, thinking that, you know, the bigger market, top 100 market, you know, that had to be the answer, right? There was more money, there were more people listening, much more prestige working at a rock station or, a soft rock station in Des Moines than this holding station in Battle Creek, right? Surely had to be the answer. So I thought, out there for three months, canned, going to work one day, you're done. All right. And I quickly found some, some work across town, uh, finally doing live rock and roll radio at a Heritage Rock Station. Live radio for the first time in my career. These other stations had all been voice tracked, recorded. Kind of like what I'm doing now. Not that much different at all. So I was doing weekends at KGGO, which is the Heritage Rock Station. One of the most prestigious radio stations in all of Iowa. And I was reborn. Man, motivated, had something to work toward, a full-time gig. I was working toward that. I was working toward improvement. I could do these shows live, run tape on myself, listen to the tapes on the ride home, and learn something. Air check myself every single day, or every single week, I guess. And then I was on to Waterloo, still in Iowa. Uh, this was in early 1999. I got a full-time midday gig, and after only six months there, I found my way in the front door of my dream station uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I was only a part-time weekend gig again, but this is the station that I'd wanted to work for. And uh, the relentless work ethic just continued. After less than a year, I basically forced them to hire me full-time, doing nights. The PD told me that that I was not going to be denied. They were going to hire me, and I was going to make them (laughs) hire me just by working my ass off. Uh, So yeah, by 2000, I had what was, for me, my dream gig. Nights, the rock station that I had listened to myself for years. And shortly after I went full-time, uh, the podcast czar, Kristoff, he and I worked together there. That's where I met him. So if you're stuck, Chris, make sure you have that... Uh, did you did you have your emergency gear packed? No. There's I could a... see the station. That was my emergency gear. Not when you left the house. True. Kids, if you're going to go out driving tonight, make sure you have that emergency gear pack, that winter survival gear, that yes, winter survival kit. Yes, the coffee kit. can, the candle, the flashlight. The Jack Daniels, the... <laughs> but, uh, you don't have to drive tonight.
0: I wouldn't advise driving anything. If you if you drive a truck, you've got to make a delivery. Call them and tell them you're going to be late.
1: And good good night to uh, have a snowmobile stash somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a severe situation. So, uh, got a buttload of school closings. I think we have six schools. That have not called in yet. Total, in our entire listening area, we have six schools that are <laughs> thinking that some sort of tropical moisture is going to come up here and melt all this crap away by morning. What's wrong with you people? Well, maybe their superintendents go to bed early. Maybe they're morons. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I shouldn't be so, I guess, uh, harsh to these people, but I don't know. Come on. Yeah. The whole city is shut down. Yeah, yeah the entire uh, lower half of uh, the lower peninsula, basically, is being shut down by this. Yeah. Kal- Kalamazoo has been postponed. Yeah, the Blizzard of 2000, there you go. Hell of a blizzard, man. I'll tell you, for quite a while, I was happy as a clam. It was great. I had a sense of fulfillment, of accomplishment. I had proven to myself and to the uh, people that I left behind in, in, in Michigan's sweaty redneck groin, as I like to call it, that I could do this, you know? That, uh, with a teaspoon of talent and a gallon of sheer will, I could do this. Uh, radio quickly you know, became my identity. That's who I was. It filled a hole that I'd had, uh, at least to a great extent, my entire life. Uh, you know, that hole of being abandoned by my father, not feeling good enough, that kind of thing. Feeling as though my very existence was a burden. You know, as though I'd been a massive inconvenience from day one. I referred to all this back in the uh, second podcast, uh, but I thought I had found a cure for that through careerism. I was going to be a radio guy, I had my career path set. This is what I was going to do the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, my work ethic would shelter me from the gathering consolidation and automation storms. Those storms were a brewing. About the same time, I, I met my father for the first time. I think that was in late 2000. And I uh, had hopes, at least at first, that uh, that we'd begin building at least some kind of relationship. That never happened, of course. And then not long after uh, 9-11. The same thing happened here that happened at the first gig. The sense of purpose and meaning just wore off again. It was gone. Again. Uh, and this time, though, I was going into deep, month-long depressions. I was getting angry. Just angry. Man. And I was at the height of my career, too. Uh, I'd achieved a level of, uh, a low level of local celebrity. I'd had a few people who actually recognized me by my voice when I was buying cigarettes at the gas station or, or was at the grocery store. I had women, no shit, basically on call. <laughs> All I had to do was call. You want to come over and do me? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it reflects on me very well. I felt like a tiny little West Michigan rock star. I don't want to give the wrong impression either. As celebrities go, radio personalities are, uh, are the pond scum variety. The lowest level of celebrity. Anyway, uh, despite all that, despite the recognition, the debauchery, the relatively decent money, uh, I found myself, mysteriously, throwing stacks of CDs across the studio. More than once were nights where I was so fucking depressed and disconnected that I literally couldn't crack the mic, couldn't speak. i just play songs, hit the sweepers, uh, played the commercials, did it for two or three hours at a time. More than once. Quite a few times. That last year. You know, come to think of it, uh, those nights sound just like the station does now. <laughs> Nothing there. No people. Anyway, these, uh, these black spells... They'd laugh and last for like a month at a time. They'd abate. They'd go away for a while and then return just as bad as they they were before. I kept the same 12 to 15 hour a day weekday pace with my audio production work. That helped. You know, that offered a little bit of escape at least. Uh, And then on the weekends, I'd still go in. Didn't have to, but I'd do it either out of habit or to just tweak something. All I was doing was working, drinking, and fucking. That was it. On the outside, it seemed like it was should have been great, right? I could not figure out why I was so agitated. But uh, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I, I think I knew that the end of this job was near, one way or another. It wasn't going to last. And then by July of 2002, I was overworked, burnout, depressed, anxiety-ridden, just miserable. I was just sick of everything. Everything. Myself included, for not being happy, despite having Precisely what I thought I wanted. Had it? Still wasn't happy. I'd basically just brought myself with me out of Salem's lot. That's your shadow on the wall. No, nope. can't get rid of your shadow, can you? Is it that exactly? You can't escape your shadow. You cannot escape it, can you? All you do is surround yourself with different shinier things or more money. The demon, or whatever it is, comes along for the ride. Rears its ugly head eventually. I wasn't really able to understand any of this, of course, Uh, back then. I just knew that I'd done everything I thought I was supposed to do, found the success I thought I needed to be happy, right? Uh, Yet here I was again, miserable, pissed off. Because that uh, old familiar hole was gaping again. I had no idea, no idea what to do about it. And in mid-July of 2002, I accompanied a bus full of listeners to Cedar Point for you uh, international folks, maybe you guys in Germany. Uh, It's an amusement park that's in the state of Ohio. It's rated the best amusement park in the entire country, consistently, year in, year out. It's a wonderful place. (laughs) You should go. And uh, anyway, I spent the day at the park drinking overpriced beer, doing Collins, you know, back to the station. And uh, toward the end, I met a park worker. She was she was cute, and she was giving the right vibes. And well, you know, by golly, gee, guess what? I decided to let the bus return to Michigan without me. The listeners went home alone, and as that bus pulled out of that parking lot, I distinctly remember knowing that this was going to be it at that radio station, and not caring. And it wasn't even about the sex. Not really. There were two little uh, sorority bunnies who were on the bus. Clearly, clearly easy pickings. That wasn't it. This was uh, an alcohol-assisted purge. Yeah. You know? (laughs) She ditched me at the bar for some other guy almost immediately after we got there. (laughs) The rest of the night, that was a thing of legend. Shortly after, I was abandoned by what's-her-name Uh, I poured some draft beer over our intern's head, ran him off, so no one knew I was still in Ohio. (laughs) Brilliant. I'm not going to go into the rest of the sordid details here, but let's just say the rest of the night involves uh, some razor wire-induced stitches, uh, friendly, compassionate police officers, thank God, a hospital, and a very quick misdemeanor court appearance along with an extremely awkward three-and-a-half-hour ride home with my PD and the the aforementioned intern the next morning. Very, very few people know anything about this story. So rejoice, Tanzilla Files. You're an insider. (laughs) And yeah, uh, I was immediately canned when I showed up for work. (laughs) (laughs) that following Monday. Surprise! Uh, Eckhart Tolle says the most common ego identifications have to do with possessions. Also the work you do, social status and recognition, knowledge and education, also physical appearance, special abilities, relationships, person and family history, belief systems, and also the political, nationalistic, racial, religious, and other sort of collective identifications. He also says that none of these is you. And that's the truth. Uh, It took me a long time to figure out that this was what was going on with that job of mine. And also why I just couldn't, you know, be happy with it. Even though I had everything pretty much that I wanted. And that accompanying demon, whatever it is, still rears its ugly head every now and then. Uh, Some of you know that black hole that I keep talking about too. Uh, Sort of a festering, aching, empty space sitting right in the middle of your gut. No matter how much potential for happiness and contentment there is, it just sucks it away. That hole. Vanishes. And most of the time, you don't even know why. At least at first. So we try to mask it. We try to distract ourselves from it. Maybe we work harder to make ourselves better, happier. If you're single, maybe it's, well, if I could only find my soulmate. As with me, it can work, you know, for a while. Pull it off. But eventually, at least with me, I started to remind myself of Annette Benning's character in American Beauty. You see that? Great movie. Check it out if you haven't. But uh, I used to catch myself sort of putting on facades and faces for the world, kind of like she did, you know? Putting forth that presentation of success and the masks of happiness. I think social media is a festering cesspool for this, these days. Everyone engaging in their own special brand of personal propaganda and promotion. Trying to show the world how awesome their lives are with happy little pictures and status updates. My life is just so normal and perfect. <laughs> Horseshit. Normal is a lie. It's a myth. It doesn't exist. It's not out there. Nobody's normal. At least under the image an idea that's put forth. It's an image sold by television and advertising to sort of keep you working toward the unattainable. That image. That idea of what you're supposed to be. To be normal. You know, the leave-it-to-beaver image. The house, the picket fence, the happy kids, the perfect wife, the perfect husband. Oh, yeah. Fuck you. Leave-it-to-beaver is not normal. It doesn't exist. Normal is closer, if you want a TV show analogy, it's closer to married with children. In fact, if you went behind the scenes, you'd see that Ward is probably an alcoholic, June's fucking Eddie Haskell's old man, Wally's on meth. The beaver, he's a cutter. Fuck normal leave it alone. I think we should determine our own personal normal and say to hell with anyone else's judgment and expectations. I call that the ministry of standards and practices. It's how your friends, your family, your co-workers, or your neighbors think you should live your life. Fuck them. Right in the ear hole. I know. It's easier said than done, right? Of course it is. You know, there are legions of us out there trying to psych ourselves up, for the materialistic battle every single day, while at the same time trying to beat down a creeping, mysterious sort of uh, internal turmoil until that person trapped inside either suffocates or lashes out and that demon escapes. I've tried a few different self-medication and uh, distraction techniques, often at the same time. I mix. (laughs) I think simple materialism You know, chasing the shiny little financial trophies is the way that most people do it because capitalism has learned that manipulating and exploiting that hole is immensely profitable. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning
0: that fact. Vamp,
1: vamp. That's me. it, exactly, man. Advertising claims to sell you the Leave It To Be for shortcuts, the cures. Yet neighborhoods are littered with the emotional corpses of those whose conformity pleased everyone, everyone but themselves. Right? I could go on, and uh, maybe I will some week. Uh, but beyond the mention, that's not really my concern, uh, at least today. Now, this podcast was originally supposed to be about warrior cops. (laughs) A far cry from what I'm doing today. Uh, I had it written. I had it uh, ready to voice. Then, the day before yesterday, we all learned that uh, Robin Williams committed suicide. The entertainment world is devastated, and most of the rest of us are mourning his loss as well. Uh, He was my first favorite comedian, as I said in the open. I marveled at how uh, quick and funny, quick and funny, I mean, it was just Seamlessly hilarious and how fast he was on his feet. His improv skills, his acting, how he could play dark roles as well. I haven't heard anyone mention uh, What Dreams May Come. Not a great movie, uh, but that role was just dark. The whole movie was just dark. And he pulled it off. It was a movie about suicide as well but Williams had also battled drug addiction in the past and reportedly he had been battling severe depression recently and I've seen a great deal of empathy and sadness expressed over his death and many people trying to raise awareness about depression but I've also seen a few people who are pissed off at him for doing this at the selfishness of the act apparently oblivious to the ironic notion that their own anger is probably selfish right because they were a fan who lost more Robin Williams material. He won't make them laugh anymore, and that's selfish on his part. <laughs> who the hell are you to judge, huh? You clearly have never experienced anything like this and have no concept of the distinction between sadness right, and rancid, full-frontal depression. My own personal reaction, based on what I've told you, and that's why I told you that, was one of understanding. Understanding how, despite all the success, Robin fucking Williams could still feel so hopeless. You know, when you're young, there's always the hope of youth. Uh, that somehow, someway, you're going to figure it all out in time. You have time. Uh, As you get older, though, your allotment of time starts year by year to look a whole hell of a lot smaller. As can the hope that peace and contentment are coming, (laughs) Eventually. Maybe you get to the point where that hope is just gone, that you realize that maybe this is it. It's not going to get better. I wonder with his substance abuse history, I don't know if he relapsed or not. I know he went into a 12-step program. The report was that he didn't want to relapse. But I wonder what would have happened if he had, if he'd been able to use that mechanism. Is it better to have a sober, dead Robin Williams or one who relapsed and got through it? I don't know. I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating anything. I'm just asking a question. I don't know. It's worth thinking about. I've kind of been there. There have been times that I have run to the bar because I absolutely had to. I'm not saying it was healthy. I'm not saying it was the right thing to do. But it made the night tolerable. No matter what happened. It helped me release something. Had I not had that, had I been in a dry county in Mississippi, i not to kill myself, but it would have been a hell of a night, that's for sure. And keep in mind, you know, Robin Williams is not a, an individually isolated comedic outlier of some sort, either. As you may know, and keep in mind, this is by no means, no means at all, a claim on the title of expert here. I right, just an observation, but I circled around the uh, fringe edges of stand-up comedy for a while. Taking a great deal of interest in the psychology of comedians, simply because of my own childhood uh, and background. Before I came to Chicago, I made the mistake of thinking (laughs) that I'd found another group of my people. I don't think I have any at this point. Anyway, when I got here last year, I made a point of asking these stand-ups about their background, specifically the painful aspects. What makes you want to do comedy? Where do you get it from? Where is the fuel? A lot of times it's pain. I wanted to find out how much of that how much of that was true. Because I wanted to see if I could kind of follow their lead a little bit. And some, some of them were very open about it. Some wore it almost like a badge of honor. Some didn't want to talk to me about it at all. It's understandable. Uh, I could relate to the ones that were open about it, at least. They were finding ways of turning uh, pain into laughs being productive with what happened to him. There's one Chicago guy in particular. His name's Sean White. You get a chance to check him out. He's online. He's on Twitter and all that, I think. Good comedian, too. He does material about how his entire family has died. Uh, Mother, father, brother, sister, I think. It's pain plus time equals comedy, as Jamie Campbell used to tell me. And this is what I love about Mark Maron's podcast. He digs deep into that stuff. Uh, he brings it out and makes it real Uh, helped me when I found it three years ago to uh, see that I wasn't alone in this stuff and that maybe there was a place to put it and perhaps there was a community of people I'd be able to relate to and more importantly who could relate to me doesn't happen often surprise but whatever it is that I've got wouldn't let me really fully engage it once I got here Never really let it out. Not sure why. There's a quote by Cyril Connolly that I found. It's an old one from 1938. It says that uh, all charming people have something to conceal, usually their total dependence on the appreciation of others. You know, I think that sometimes that hole uh, is about getting the most basic, primal validation almost literally legitimizing who we are gaining approval from the herd in order to reassure ourselves that we're really okay good enough Now the problem is again that if you don't believe that you're really okay or good enough no matter how good you really are and no matter how much success you have you're never going to be able to get enough of that approval that validation you'll never find peace I'm just an obscure little podcaster. I've never met him. And again, I won't presume to say for sure. But I wonder. I just wonder. And we'll never know, probably. Unless he left a note. Maybe he did. If that's where Robin Williams was for a long time. I can say, however, with a good degree of certainty, that uh, I was on that road in radio. Even after I started traveling, it became about the stories Uh, getting validation via my blog and the pictures that I was taking while I was out traveling. The stories. Hell, I probably still do that. But I suppose that some people, and not as many as I think I'd like to believe, are are lucky in that we're introspective enough to be able to, at least at some point and at some level, recognize it. Doesn't mean we can do anything about it. Uh, Just because you can identify it doesn't mean you can conquer it it's hard uh, but we can maybe perhaps understand uh, where it comes from where that hole comes from many more can't they just continuously hurt sometimes they need constant approval without knowing why and no matter how much they get as i said it's never enough that black hole just sucks it away black hole can never be filled And many never understand it, never understand why. Or maybe some do, and they're just simply too sensitive to deal with the pain that comes with confronting it. There's one thing I've learned about truth, and trying to be honest and and confront and slay that dragon. Truth doesn't owe you anything but itself. It doesn't care whether or not you can handle it or not. It is what it is, regardless of your ability to deal with it. And some people just can't not an indictment doesn't make him weak doesn't make him small doesn't make him less of a human being (laughs) maybe it makes him a little more sensitive to things hey a truck welcome to the north side of Chicago so anyway I can relate to that very well I know precisely where my little hole comes from and uh there's really like I said there's nothing I can do about it I personally can't fill it you can't fill it uh I'm going to close this up with another quote, but this one's not from an author or anything like that. It's from a a friend of mine that uh, he posted this on Facebook shortly after Robin Williams. I think it's brilliant. Uh, He says that his name's Todd, by the way, another Todd. Uh, It's always a difficult thing being true to yourself. There are times in life that shit will cost you some chips. (laughs) Uh, Even the best of us have our monkey spheres for whom our true selves may not be shown either out of conflict, avoidance, or spiritual compassion. Uh, Take time to be true to yourselves. If you're not, you can lose yourself, and quickly. Although many great works of literature show you the voyage of someone finding themselves, it is often not a pleasant experience. That is the truth. Best to pay attention to your own voyage. Those who lose focus on their voyage, those who are the unfortunate, they may spend their whole lives involved in the voyage of others. Others who may not even know where they're going. They can or cannot help. Know yourself and be good to that person. You know, the thing that he's talking about, the monkey sphere, uh, I wrote about that a few years ago. And I refer to it as our uh, deep, dark, private caves where each of us sort of hide from time to time. We never show it to anyone. Never take anyone there. Give them the tour. Uh, The real us. Us really, really real us, the naked kid us deep down inside and uh, the problem is that perhaps especially because of that personal propaganda shit that I was talking about with social media uh, we all seem to think we're the only ones who have these caves these places we go that we don't show anyone else and uh, a lot of people I think assume that they're fucked up because of it Again, there's another conversation. It's for another time. Uh, But let me assure you of one thing. All right? Uh, You're not alone with your cave. And you're not fucked up. If you are, we all are. And uh, if everyone's fucked up, (laughs) there is no fucked up. On that note, let's have some fun, shall we? (laughs) Ask Ask! Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Christ. Ask, ask Jesus. Here's your Lord and Savior Jesus.
0: Do it now, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do it again now, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Getting horny now. Maybe you believe me now? I'm still waiting for my hashtag, Voice Generating Lives Matter.